Good morning. Great to see you here this morning at Connect Church. Uh, a very special welcome to you if you're here for the very first time. My name is Dave Jane. I'm the lead pastor here at Connect. Uh, for those of you who come regularly, you'll know that I wasn't here last week. My wife and I and the kids uh, were very fortunate. We got to go back for a couple of weeks to my homeland of England. So we've had a great time the last couple of weeks. Uh, I know you guys laugh when I talk at my funny accent. You'll be pleased to hear that when I arrived back in England, all my friends laughed at my funny accent because having lived in America for as long as I have, I've picked up some Americanisms that you wouldn't notice, but they notice immediately. So uh, the good news is I spent two weeks getting rid of all of that and really topping up the English. So we will have subtitles for this morning's message because a lot of you won't understand a word I'm talking about. Um, the other good news is we literally just got back on Friday night. So uh, we are uh, still on kind of the British time zone right now. It's six hours ahead of us here in Illinois. So uh, I was up at like four o'clock this morning, wide awake. And this whole jet lag thing is really kind of messing with me. Now it's, I feel like I should have eaten lunch and it's time for my afternoon nap. So I was, uh, I'm kind of really out of it. So who knows what I'll talk about this morning. It could be a really great morning to be at Connect Church. But uh, I've I got to be honest, even though it was great, Great to be away last week. I really missed you guys. I was praying back in England because I knew my friend Patrick was coming. I knew he'd do a fantastic job. But uh, I missed being here. I love this church. I love uh, what God is doing through Connect Church in this community and the surrounding areas. So uh, as much as we had a fantastic time being back home with friends and family, we are thrilled to be back. And we're excited leading up to Easter. Easter is a great uh, weekend on the church calendar. In fact, this series that we're in right now, if you've joined us, it's called Red Letter Day. And the idea being that um, on the, the old, the traditional church calendars from hundreds of years ago, you know, they would have these wall charts, these calendars, and there would be certain days throughout the year that they would mark as red letter days. And Easter Sunday was one of those red letter days. It was a very important day on the church calendar. And it still is today. We believe that it's um, probably the most important day on the church calendar because next Sunday we will celebrate the fact that Jesus um, having died on Good Friday, we will, we'll remember that. But then on Easter Sunday is a time of celebration because we remember that that's the day that he rose again. He rose from the grave. And, and just that in and of itself is an incredible story. But the implications that that still has on our lives today makes it the most exciting day of the year. And for many of us here as Christ followers this morning, people who have made a decision to make Jesus the most important person in our lives, for us, we recognize that the victory that Jesus won on that Easter morning, that, that Easter Sunday, it's changed our lives today. We benefit today from Jesus having risen again. So this series has been great because it's been building and building and next Sunday will be that very red letter day that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And what we've been doing in this series, and, and you can go to our website, connectwashington.org, if you've missed any of them or if you're new here and you'd like to kind of catch up, is we've been looking over the last three or four weeks um, at phrases that Jesus uttered from the cross. Statements that Jesus made in, in literally the last hours of his life. You see, we're fortunate we have four very detailed accounts of the life of Jesus written by four gentlemen by the name of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those, those writings, you can read about those last hours of Jesus' life. 
And there are several phrases that he makes that, that, that had huge implication upon him individually as he was there on that cross. I mean, those things he was saying, um, they give us such an insight into what he was going through in those last minutes. But I actually believe that they still can have an impact on us today. That the phrases that he, he said, those, those statements he made, they can still change our lives today. You see, one of them was, was why have you forsaken me? Right there on the cross, Jesus cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? And as, as empowering as that was at that time to Jesus, I think many of us can relate to that phrase. Maybe you're here this morning, there have been times in your life, and you felt like because of the heartache or the, the difficult times that you're going through, you've, you've maybe turned your head to heaven and said, God, why have you forsaken me? It feels like right now in the midst of this struggle of what I'm going through that you are a million miles away. It feels like you've forsaken me. Now we know that God hasn't forsaken us during those times because we know that the, the scriptures teach that he's promised he'll never ever leave us or forsake us. But that doesn't mean that during those times it can feel like he's a million miles away. We thought through the idea that Jesus, having been whipped, spat upon had this crown of thorns jammed down onto his head, had stakes driven through his hands and his feet. In a moment when we saw mankind at its worst, we see God at his very best because Jesus spoke these words and prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And I know last week Patrick talked to you about that idea of, man, for Jesus in that moment to be able to say, God, forgive them. If he can be in the midst of all of that and still ask his heavenly father to forgive those that are, are crucifying him, how much more should we learn what it means to, to live a life of forgiveness, to accept forgiveness, but also to be willing to give forgiveness? And I know that when Patrick shared that last week, that that was a challenge for some of us. That was difficult to think through. Yeah, but you don't know what they did. You don't know how much it hurt. You don't know... I, we understand all that, but we look to Jesus who was able to, while hanging on the cross, say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then later, knowing that all was now completed, we read the, the, the phrase that I kicked off the whole series with a few weeks ago when Jesus there on the cross said, I am thirsty. Now, why did he say that? It's interesting because... Um, there were many things he could have said. I'm hurting, I'm sore, I'm tired, I'm hungry. But, but he chose to say, I am thirsty. And, and I happen to believe that it, it tied into to what we find in the older part of the Bible. It's called the Old Testament. And there were dozens of different people throughout the Old Testament. They're, we call them prophets, people that wrote. And they were, they were inspired by God as they were writing about this Messiah that would one day come and rescue them. So they were writing about this person, this Messiah. They didn't know who he would be or when he would come, but they did know some things that God was telling them. And when Jesus came and he lived his life on earth, many of those promises, many of those prophecies that those prophets had shared about the Messiah, they came true in Jesus' life. In fact, one of them was fulfilled in that phrase when Jesus said, I am thirsty. Because little did they know was when he cried out, I am thirsty, that their response was, was really to torture him some more. They saw him there up on the cross and they had this bowl of um, what's called wine vinegar. And we can read here in John chapter 19, verse 29, it says that a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. 
What they're thinking here is we're going to torture him some more. He's thirsty. He wants to drink water. We're going to give him vinegar instead and just make it even worse for him. But little did they know, in that moment, they were fulfilling another prophecy about the Messiah. Which is why I believe that the next phrase, the one that we're going to look at this morning, came right after that prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus said probably the three most amazing words we could ever imagine. In John chapter 19.30, he said this, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. You see, that's what we're going to look at this morning. Literally the last words that Jesus spoke while alive on the cross before he gave up his life. He said, it is finished. To fully understand what he's saying here, that um, he, he cried out to heaven. He, he looks down to earth and says, it is finished. We, we really need to look at what the word that he actually uttered was. You see, Jesus, um, even though we probably would like to think this sometimes, he didn't speak English, okay? Um, he lived in uh, Bible times back there and he spoke Greek. So the word that Jesus would have said, he wouldn't have said, it is finished. He would have said this word, tetelestai. That's a Greek word, tetelestai. And it actually means to end or to complete or to execute or to discharge a debt. And I wanted to share this word with you this morning because as I was studying and preparing for this message, it amazed me really the, 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 the full impact of what this word is that Jesus shared. Now, I think it is finished is a powerful phrase. But when you hear what this word tetelestai actually means, it'll, it'll show you even more powerfully what he said. Because he's saying here, I did it, I paid the debt, I finished it. But there are three different, in that culture, back in those times, there were, there were three times you would use this word, tetelestai, this Greek word. There were three different occasions in that culture where you would say this particular phrase. The first is, um, if, you were, um, if you were a slave or a servant, and you've been tasked with a duty, you would return to your master and you would say, tetelestai. And what you'd be saying to your master is, I've finished what you sent me to do. There is nothing more left for me to be done. I've done everything you asked me to do. It's a servant going to his master and saying, I've done everything you've asked me to do. You know, a second way that this phrase would be used was in the way of commerce. If you were a merchant in those times and, and someone came to pay and, and the bill was already taken care of, the merchant in that situation, he would declare to telestai. It would mean the debt has been paid in full. You owe nothing. This debt is cleared. It's totally paid. You know, the final area that this particular phrase, to telestai, was used was, was actually in the church. In the, the, the temple of that time, the priest would use this word. You see, one of the responsibilities of the priest was to take a lamb and to sacrifice it. And this had been going on for thousands of years. And this was the way that the people prior to Jesus would, would make atonement. And that's kind of a long word, but basically make things right between them and God for the, the bad things that they'd done. A lamb had to be sacrificed. And it couldn't just be any lamb. There couldn't be any blemish or anything wrong. It had to be a perfect lamb. So the priest would examine the lamb, and upon examination, if this lamb was determined to be perfect, he would say, Tetelestai. This is a perfect lamb. It is it's complete. So you imagine Jesus is saying this on the cross for people to hear, Tetelestai, and any one of those three things would pop into someone's mind, and every one of those three things was true in that very moment. The servant 
Jesus called himself a servant. If there was ever anyone that, that deserved to be served, it was Jesus, the Son of God. And yet he came not to, not to be served, but to serve. And that moment on the cross, the servant completed the task the master had sent him to do. Maybe you'd hear that phrase and hear it through the business mindset. And you'd know that he was saying, hey, the debt has been paid in full. Tetelestai, it is finished. All the debts are cleared. Maybe the religious leaders heard it and they realized that when Jesus was saying that phrase, Tetelestai, it is finished, what they were hearing was the perfect lamb without any blemish has been sacrificed right here before us today. Jesus was saying, I did it. History has been changed. My mission, your work, your mission, God, that you sent me to do, it is complete. And you may ask this morning, well, what is it that he finished? You know, I understand, Dave, that you're saying it is finished and that he completed his mission. But what was that mission? I think there were many attributes to that mission. One, I've kind of touched on this already, was the fulfilling of these prophecies. Do you know, it's amazing when you read these, these writings that were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And they would tell of this Messiah that was coming. And in his lifetime, even in his death and crucifixion, Jesus fulfilled every one of these prophecies. There were dozens of them. We're going to go through just a few of them here this morning to highlight this. Um, a prophet by the name of Amos, he prophesied that darkness will befall the land and it was fulfilled. These are all just in the, the, the last moments of Jesus' life, hanging there on the cross. Isaiah said Jesus would one day be rejected, and he was. We can read in the Psalms, and, and we find out that he would be betrayed. Isaiah, another prophet, he told us that he would be beaten, that he would be spit upon, that he would be wounded and bruised for our transgressions, and he was. Another Psalm said that he would be mocked, and he was. A man by the name of Zechariah said he would be forsaken by his friends, the Messiah, and Jesus was. Isaiah said that he would pray for his persecutors, and he did. It said he would be crucified by thieves, and he was. Psalms said that they would cast lots for his clothing, and they did. It also said none of his bones would be broken. The Messiah, when he comes, when he dies, none of his bones will be broken, and they weren't. Do you know, Psalms all, even says that he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did. It was prophesied before he was even born that he would be pierced, and he was. And it was prophesied that they would give him vinegar to drink. And when he said, I am thirsty, that's what they did. And at that point he said, It is finished. All of the prophecies, all of these words that were spoken of, of the coming Messiah, at that moment when they gave him that drink, Jesus was able to say, it is finished. Everything that was predicted has come to pass. I have fulfilled the plan that God had. It is finished. You know what else was finished in that moment? I'll tell you what, Satan's plan was finished. 
He had a plan to get Jesus off track. He was all through Jesus' life. We can read um, the time when Jesus was in the wilderness fasting and praying and, and the, the devil came to him and he was trying to tempt him with power and with, with an escape. And, and even when he was praying, saying, God, if this isn't your will, there were, there were times throughout Jesus' life where constantly the devil was trying to pull him away from this plan. But at that moment, Jesus could say, it is finished because since the beginning of his birth, Satan had done everything that he could to take Jesus off the track of the cross, but Jesus finished it. He completed what God sent him to do. The sacrifice was perfect. The debt had been paid in full. Sin in that moment lost its sting and power. And Jesus looked up to the Father and said, I finished what you sent me to do. That is great news for all of us this morning because the the other part he finished was the plan to rescue us. He came with a plan and it was the only way that you and I could really be rescued because the only way that you and I can ever have a relationship with Father God is if we're perfect. And, And the truth is, we won't do a poll here this morning. I'll just let you know, you're not perfect. None of us are. I'm sorry if that's bad news this morning. Welcome to Connect Church. You're not perfect. We hope you come again. And perfection was the only way that we could ever experience a relationship with God. So Jesus, God loved us so much that he had to send his only son to live in perfection. So that that moment on that cross when he cried out, it is finished. He was saying, it's complete. The very method by which God and man can finally be reunited, it is finished because Jesus lived in perfection. He died in perfection so that we don't have to die. So just that in itself, I, I, man, if, if you don't listen to anything else I say this morning, hopefully you'll leave just um, excited about, man, when Jesus said it is finished, what must it have been like in the midst? I, I even wonder if in all that pain and all that misery and all that struggle, that even in those last few seconds, it probably gave Jesus just a sense of um, encouragement and just relief to know that it is finished. I have done what I set out to do. Nothing can change this now. It's, it's complete. But I believe, as well as just the power of that phrase in that moment, that it has an implication on us still today on how we live our lives. And if you'll allow me, I want to speak just for a few minutes this morning just about what does that mean to us this morning? To hear Jesus say, it is finished at the end of his life, what what could that possibly mean to us? Well, I'll tell you. Did you know this morning that all of you and I and every one of us, we actually have something in common with Jesus this morning? We all have something in common with him. You see, we too were created with a mission and a purpose for our lives. Now, obviously, Jesus' purpose and mission for his life was was quite a a grand one. I mean, he was to die for the sins of mankind, to sacrifice himself. So that was a huge mission. But it doesn't mean that the mission and the plan that God's got for your life is any less important for you individually and for the world in which you live. God's got a plan and a purpose for every one of you too. God wants every one of you to reach a point at the end of your lives where you can, like Jesus, be able to say, it is finished. I did what you sent me to do. I accomplished what you created me to do, who you created me to be. I want every one of us to reach the end of our lives and be able to say, it is finished. To tell us, I've, I've got to that point of completion where I know that I've done what I was meant to do. But the challenge in that to all of us this morning, is that 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 means that we, if we still have breath in our lungs right now, then we still have unfinished business. 
there is still part of the plan left to do in our lives. In fact, if you're like me, you, you probably hate to have things unfinished. How many of you just can't stand it when there's like unfinished things in your life? Yeah, yeah me too. And the, probably the reason I hate it is because there's so much of it in my life. I'm surrounded on a daily basis by reminders of the fact that, that there's still things. I've, I've got shelves full of books that I started and then started to read another book. And it's like, man, one day I'm going to finish that book because it was really good before I got onto that, that next book. We, um, we as a family sometimes at Christmas, you know, we'll decide, let's do a jigsaw. Let's say, we'll, we'll spread it out on the dining room table. And around about February, Casey will say, you know what, I really need my table back. We'd like to uh, eat again, you know. And there'll be an unfinished jigsaw puzzle that gets put back into the box. Now, every day we walk by it, we're like, we should really finish that. There are, there are jobs throughout my house that started off really well. Casey's like, uh-huh. Um, now, they work. You know, the door opens and closes. Now, it has no trim, but it's, I mean, it, it works as a door. It's fulfilling its purpose, you know. And, and I look through and I see all these examples of, of unfinished business in my life. And, and it can be frustrating at times. And maybe that's the, the same for you here this morning. But you know, this morning, I'm not talking about painting trim or finishing a book. I'm talking about that area of your life that we sometimes call mission. That purpose that we all sense because really deep down, we know that God has given it to us. And I want to tell you this morning that whether or not you're a Christ follower, whether you've decided to make Jesus the Lord of your life, and follow him, or whether you're here this morning just kind of exploring things of Christianity and things of the church, I still think that every one of us has a plan and a purpose for our lives. It's not just the ones that have chosen to follow God and says, okay, then I'll give you a plan. He's got a plan for every single one of us. In fact, one of my favorite um, passages in, in the Bible is in Psalms. And a great man named King David, the same David that killed Goliath, he went on to become king, but he wrote this amazing psalm in Psalm 139, talking about the purpose and the plan that we have for our lives. Listen to what he said. He said, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Do you know this morning, you are not an accident. God has known all about you since you were before, since before you were even born. And you know what? He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for every single one of you this morning. Especially if you're sitting here right now thinking, well, not me. He's definitely got a plan for you. He's definitely got a purpose for you. I heard a, a speaker talking about this once and I loved what he said. He said, there's a, there's a book that only you can write. There is a painting that only you can paint. And it's true. There is a part of a plan that God has for your life that only you can fulfill. He doesn't have a plan B. He's not going to, well, if they don't work, it doesn't work out with them, then I'll use this. No, he created you, and he's got a plan for your life that only you can fulfill. 
And this morning, every one of us are living as part of that plan. And maybe this morning, as I'm speaking about this, some of you are, are thinking about, yeah, I, th- I feel like that's part of my destiny, part of the purpose that God's got for me. And, and I recognize that there is still some unfinished business. There is still a part of that plan that I'm yet to see unfold. And maybe you're thinking here this morning, well, I'm at this stage of my life, so I think everything that God created me to be, everything that he created me to do, you know, I'm there now, I've done it. You know, I I did well in college, and I did well in high school, and, you know, I I picked a good spouse, and we're doing well as a family, we've got some great kids. So so where I find myself in this stage of life now, I feel like that plan God had for me, I've I've fulfilled it. Well, do you know what? You haven't even begun yet. I I had this amazing revelation uh, two weeks ago. We were in England. And uh, we'd only been there a few days, and we decided to take a trip to London. We've always got to go to uh, one of the greatest cities on earth every time we're back. So uh, Casey and Emma went to a toy museum, and uh, I decided my boys needed some good education. So we hit a museum, so uh, they were thrilled about that, being 13, 11. That's exactly what they wanted to do. We're like passing attractions, the London Eye, all these things, and we're headed to a museum. But um, it was a fascinating museum. It was the Churchill War Rooms. And it was um, basically a, a museum dedicated to Winston Churchill, and they are underneath Downing Street. Now, Downing Street is where the Prime Minister of England, that's like your president, the guy in charge, okay, where he lives and where he works, okay. Underneath are these things called the war rooms. And basically, during World War II, Winston Churchill and all of his leaders at the time, they spent the majority of their time in these rooms, literally plotting and planning out the activities of World War II. We saw the phone that he used to call your president and have conversations at this time, you know, where there was like scrambling phones and things and and communicating across the ocean with, with strategy about the war. And it was fascinating seeing all this that took place. I mean, Winston Churchill um, is probably credited as the person in Great Britain who really just kind of helped us win the war. You know, it was his spirit and his resilience and his determination to to defeat Hitler and the the Nazis and and to uh, bring the Allies together that really had a huge impact in turning the direction of the war. But here was the fascinating thing I discovered while I was there. Because I'm, you know, I'm not going to tell you a lot about Winston Churchill this morning. I think most of us know who he is. Great leader, you know, great politician, great leader during the Second World War. Well, I found out there was like a section that was devoted to his whole life. He lived such a full life before he even became the prime minister. I discovered that as a young army officer, he himself had fought in British India, the Sudan, and the Second Boer War. He he gained fame as a war correspondent. He wrote books about his campaigns. I found out that throughout his political years, for 50 years, before he even um, became the prime minister, he'd held various different positions. He was... um, Let me see, he was the president of the Board of Trade, he was a Home Secretary. Throughout the First World War, he was the first Lord of the Admiralty. I think by the time he became Prime Minister in 1940, Winston Churchill could probably look back on his 66 years of life. That's how old he was in 1940 when he became the Prime Minister of Great Britain. He could look back on his 66 years and say, you know what, I've lived a pretty good life. I've had some pretty amazing accomplishments. I've, I've done some pretty amazing things. I've fought in wars. I've been leaders in wars. I've been leaders in politics. At, at this point, I think I've done everything God created me to do. And yet, his defining moment, what we all know him for, hadn't even begun. So I think that the plans God has for our lives will blow us away because you've already seen some of them start to unfold, but there are many more still to come. God has such a lot of destiny and purpose and plans for your life.
So as I speak about this purpose that God has for your life, I'm hoping it's kind of stirring something up in you, maybe some thoughts within you of those plans that you feel that maybe, was this God? Was this something that he gave to me? Maybe you credited it as a good idea at the time, but, but whatever way you look at it, you're realizing, you know what, Dave? There is still some unfinished business in my life. Maybe it's a, a new discipline that you've been meaning to start for a while and you still haven't really got on board with it. It could be something related to health or reading or spending time with family. Maybe instead of starting something new, it's the idea of, you know what, I need to stop something. There is a habit that I've been meaning to break for a long time, and it's time for me to break that habit. That's unfinished business. It's been in the back of my mind for a while, and I still haven't really got around to, to kicking that out, getting rid of that. It could be clearing some debt. It could be something huge like deciding to adopt or foster a child. You've always felt like it was something you should do, but you've kind of pushed it to the side. It could be a career change. Maybe after last week, hearing Patrick speak about forgiveness, it's reminded you, you know what? I still have some unfinished business. There's still that area I need to take care of. There's still that person I need to forgive. Maybe this morning there's a friend or a loved one who doesn't know Jesus the way you know him. And this morning you're being reminded, you know what? It's not too late. There is still some unfinished business. I could still be praying for that person. I could still be showing them love. I could invite them to come to church next Sunday because as long as they don't know him, there's still some unfinished business that I think I have in my life. So why is this phrase that Jesus uttered 2,000 years ago while hanging on a cross, why is it still so important to us today? Because every single day that God blesses us with another opportunity to live, is another opportunity to take one step closer to the purpose that he has given you. You see, Jesus finished well. Let's be honest, we live in a culture where people start many things and finish few. And so how do we, like Jesus, finish well when so few of us finish anything? So here's what the the help I want to give you this morning. Just two real simple thoughts. And these two thoughts, maybe that unfinished business has been stirred up in your mind this morning. This will push you towards that so that you, like Jesus, can finish strong. The first thought is we're going to make a commitment. For some of us, it's that simple. It's just saying, I'm going to make a commitment. I know what still needs to be done, and this morning, I'm going to make a commitment to do that. And before you start to say, hey, cool, I've done that already, listen to this challenge that Paul gave to the church in Corinth. I love this. He writes to this church, and in 2 Corinthians 8.11, he says, Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. Your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. What Paul's saying here is, you know what? There is a very big difference between eager willingness and completion of it. You know, many of us have got some real high levels of eager willingness. I'm really determined to do this. But there's a big difference between eager willingness and completion of it. Let me, let me give you an example. Maybe your, your commitment is to lose some weight. I'm going to lose some weight. You know, eager willingness is saying, I'm going to lose some weight. But still in the cupboard is that packet of Oreos, the double stuff, that, that big packet. Maybe it's that suitcase full of chocolate that you bought back from England. That, we all do that, right? That's a common problem for all of us, you know. And, and you, can have, you can be as eager as you want, but all the time that stuff's in the cupboard, it's still eager willingness. The commitment is when you say, you know what? That's got to go. And it's not just eating them all the night before, because tomorrow I'm planning the diet, so I'm going to eat all those Oreos tonight. 
because the next day you'll find some more Oreos. Okay, so tomorrow I really have. So if you want to bring those cookies to me, I will help you in this commitment, and I will get rid of them for you. But um, commitment is getting rid of them altogether. Here's a great example of the difference between eager willingness and commitment. It was in 1519, a, um, a sailor by the name of Hernando Cortez. Maybe some of you have heard this story. He was given permission by the governor of Spain to take 11 ships and 700 men to discover a new world. They all sailed with eager willingness. They wanted to expand the territories of Spain and increase the treasures they would find in this new land. They landed in Vera Cruz and their eager willingness started to fade. Because what they discovered was that here in this new land were the most savage, violent natives that they had no preparation for. All of a sudden, the crew, they began to dissent. They began to talk to one another. You know what? I want to go home. I, I don't like the food. I don't like that there's somebody chasing me here trying to cut off my head. <laughs> I, I don't really like this place as much as I thought I would. That, that eager willingness, it was changing a bit now. It wasn't really following through with the commitments that had once been there. So do you know what Hernando Cordes did? It was very simple. He gave one order to one member of his crew. He said, I want you to burn the ships. And that one crew member went out and set fire to every one of those ships. And in that moment, there was no turning back. They had to stay. That's the kind of commitment I think God's wanted to challenge us with this morning. It'll always remain unfinished business unless we're willing to burn some ships in our lives. Unless we're willing to say, I've got to break that to be able to move forward. You know, I think even Jesus himself had a, had a ship-burning moment in his life. His was in the Garden of Gethsemane. We, we read of him being deep in prayer, a prayer so intense, and he was in so much agony that it says he was literally sweating blood. He prays this prayer, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. It's almost like he's saying, God, is there a way out? Is there another plan? Is there another way of doing this? But then something changed. And I think this is the moment where our Savior stepped across the line of no turning back. He says, yet not my will, but yours be done. In that moment, he said, God, I don't want what's my will. I want yours to be done. And he stepped over that line in the sand. And this morning, where is the line for us? If we too want to finish strong, we're going to have to draw that line in the sand and step over and say, God, I want to make that kind of commitment to, to complete the task that you set me to do. And when you've made that, that decision, when you've stepped across that line, when you've made that commitment, it brings you to this second thing, which is to take the next step. It literally, I mean, if you want to step across the line, it's going to take a step. That's, that's the next step here is to, to take the next step. So I'm saying that a lot. That's the jet lag. Um, so after making the commitment, surely it's, it's, it would be real simple to take the next step. But for many of us, it's not. And I'll tell you why it's not, because we, we start to look at the goal of where we think God wants us to be, and we start to look at the business that we feel needs finishing, that plan, whatever it may be, and, and suddenly we look at where we are right now and where that is, and the chasm is so large that we think, I could never do that. That's way too big of a step to take, and before we've even taken one step, we've given up on the idea. The task just seemed too large. That's why I love this verse that I read in, in the book of Psalms. It's in, in 119, verse 105. And it's such a great piece of wisdom for us to follow as we're taking these steps in our lives, moving towards completing these goals. 
Listen to what it says. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let me tell you what that verse is telling me about God's plan for my life. It's telling me that God hasn't said, Dave, I'm going to light up the whole path. I'm going to show you from now to the very day you die. I'm going to show you everything. And I'm going to show you exactly how that all comes to pass. I'm going to show you how it all gets completed. But he doesn't. He says, you know what I'm going to show you? I'm going to give you enough light to make that first step. Because my word is like a lamp to your feet. There will always be enough to get you one step beyond where you are right now. And that's kind of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's living a life of faith. It's saying, Jesus, I, I trust you. I believe you've got a great plan for my life and destiny and purpose. And I'm not really sure how that's all going to unfold. And I want to know all the answers. But it appears that all you're really giving me is enough knowledge, enough information here to take the next step. And God's saying, yep, that's all you need right now. See, the great thing about faith in God is he'll always give you enough revelation, enough lights to light your feet so you can take the next step. The worst thing about God is that he'll only give you enough light to be able to take that next step. And that is, it's the greatest thing and it's the hardest thing all in one. But that's what faith is. And when we have a faith in Jesus, it's saying, God, I, I trust that you've got the, the, the light that I need, the knowledge that I need to be able to take that next step. So this morning, some of you are going to need to ask God. You're going to need to say, God, what is my next step? Is it to write the letter? Is it to cut up the credit cards? Is it to make the phone call? Maybe for some here this morning, it's to fill out the resume. Maybe after last week, it's to forgive. Maybe this morning, your next step is going to happen because you came here this morning not believing in Jesus. Or at least maybe you believed in him, but you weren't ready to make that step to say, I want Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Maybe for you, you've been coming a few weeks now and, and that's what your next step is. Especially if the, the, the very thing that's stopping you from taking that next step is trying to figure out all the steps after that. Maybe God's wanting you to know this morning, hey, listen, just trust me. All I need you to take right now is that first step. Accept me. Invite me to be a part of your life. Allow me to be the Lord of your life. If you'll take that next step, I'll lead you and every step will get better and better. It'll be a great life. But for now, you're going to have to just trust me and take that first step. But the great news about that commitment, the great news about that, that first step is it'll lead to the next step and the next step. And my prayer is for me in my life, that as I follow one step after the other, that one day I'll come to a point at the end of my life, like Jesus, and I'll be able to look back and say, it is finished. It's complete. I did what um, he sent me to do. I, I, I followed the plan he had for my life. But as long as there's unfinished business in my life, I want to keep moving in that direction. I want to keep discovering, God, what is it you got for me tomorrow, next week, the week after? God, show me the direction you want to go this week because, God, I want to fulfill the plan you've got for my life. And I know that we hit these stages in life where we kind of just plateau. We're like, I like it here. It's not too challenging right now. You know, it's, it's not the best, but it's not the worst. <laughs> this is a good place to be. But deep down, we just sense, you know what? I know there's more still to do. I know there's still unfinished business. And I don't want to get to that point and say, yeah, it's finished, most of it. <laughs> I want to get to the point and say, it is finished. 
1968, um, it was the Mexico City Olympics. There was a runner by the name of John Stephen Aquari, and some of you may know this story. He was from Tanzania. He'd set out to, with hopes of winning the Olympic gold, and he was competing in the marathon, a 26.2-mile race. There's a marathon taking place today in London. I've got a friend that runs in it, and I think people that run marathons are incredible. I ran half a marathon last year, and I remember crossing the finish line thinking, there's nothing in me that could turn around now and run all the way back. That's just great. I've literally given everything. That's it. I've done it. I've checked off my list. I've got a sticker on my car. I'm never running that far in my life again. Sorry to all you wonderful runners out there who are like, did you get to that point where you felt the runner's high? No, I've never felt that runner's high, but you guys are fantastic. You keep running. So anyway, <laughs> John Stephen Aquari, this, this marathon runner, he comes from Tanzania, and in the 1968 Olympics, he's running the race. He's out in the streets of Mexico City, and in the middle of the marathon, he falls. He cuts up his leg. His, his knee is gashed. He um, let me see, I want to read here to make sure I get the facts straight. He, uh, there was some injury, I can't find it now. It was, oh, there it is. He dislocated his knee from the joint. I want you to understand what this guy was facing. I mean, in the middle of a marathon, 26-mile run, his knee is dislocated from the joint as well as being cut up. At that point, if it were me, I'd have been like, that's it. That's a pretty good reason to say, you know, I can't go on. But this guy, he gets up, he wraps a towel around his leg, and he keeps on running. And check out this video to see the end of the race. But for some, the reward is a personal one. The knowledge that they finished what they set out to do. A little over an hour after the winner of the marathon crossed the finish line, John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania approaches the stadium the last man to complete the journey. A voice calls from within to go on, and so he goes on. My country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles 
to finish the race. You know, I don't believe God just created us. God didn't bring you into being and, and, and your destiny, your purpose, just to start out this life. I believe he brought you here to finish and to finish well. And my prayer is that all of us, like Jesus, when we reach the ends of our lives, we can say, it is finished, because there wasn't a moment through our lives where we didn't say, okay, God, what's the next step? What's the next commitment? What's the next thing I need to, to push through here? And my prayer is that as I've been speaking this morning, God's been speaking to some of you, and he's reminded you of some of those things. And maybe even this week, he'll be writing some notes down on a journal or, or making a fresh commitment. Maybe you'll be setting fire to some boats in your life, whatever it may take, because you didn't come to start the race, you came to finish the race and finish it well. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, we are coming into the last week of the season leading up to Easter. It amazes me, Lord, as I read the scriptures. Today was the day, Lord, that you rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, Palm Sunday, with crowds cheering and singing your praises and how quickly that turned in the course of a week to your crucifixion and your death. And we're going to remember that this Friday, Lord, on, on Good Friday, that you paid the greatest price that any man could ever pay for another, that you would lay down your life for us. But next Sunday, we're going to remember, Lord, that you rose again and that because you did, we all can have a relationship with God. And because you did, Lord, we not only can have a relationship with God, but we can, as you said once, we can live life and life to the full. And Father, I know that in this room this morning, there are many that still have some unfinished business in their life. They know that they have purpose and destiny upon them, and there is some, some unfinished business. And God, I pray, Lord, you would stir that up in them today, that this week they would make that fresh decision to say, I'm going to change this, I'm going to break this, I'm going to start this, I'm going to do this, whatever it is, Lord, to keep moving towards that point where every one of us, like your precious son Jesus, can say, it is finished. We finish the race. Bless us, God. Help us to have a great week this week, Lord. And I pray that we'll return next Sunday with many friends and neighbors and relatives and family, Lords, to hear the wonderful message of Easter. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.